120 billion pound industry this year, gaming is another one of those rare markets seemingly unaffected by the coronavirus pandemic. It's come a long way in its half century lifespan. It will be 50 years since the release of Pong in 2022 uh, on the Magnavox Odyssey, widely regarded as the first home video game. Today, we will be breaking down the industry with help from IC contributor Lauren Almeida, who has been speaking to Carl Cavers, the CEO at Sumo Group, a games development company. We'll also be hearing from Mike Diver, head of content for Gaming Bible at Lad Bible Group, to paint us a picture of what the market looks like and where it's heading. I'm Megan Boxall. And I'm John Human, and this is Not Your Normal Finance Show. We've got Lauren with us today because, unfortunately... I might not be saying very much in this podcast because I am not really a gamer. But Lauren, you you know more about about the market as a consumer and as a writer. Yeah, I guess maybe a little bit more. I describe myself as a casual gamer. I come from a house of, of gaming geeks, I would say. Um, so I think I've probably picked up on that. But uh, yeah, I feel like I do know a little bit about video games. You own a console, don't you? I do own a console. What do you own? I own a Switch. Um, which was gifted to me by my older brother. Um, but yeah, I've uh, sunk a lot of hours into the Switch during lockdown, especially in the summer. Um, and it's kind of hard not to because you feel productive when you're <laughs> playing a video game. And obviously there's the, the social element as well, playing with your friends and, and socialising that way. I actually hosted a, a birthday party for my best friend on Animal Crossing um, this summer. So yeah. How does that work? You kind of just invite everyone to your to your little island, your little universe that, that exists in Animal Crossing. And uh, yeah, it was a surprise party because she didn't know that my other friends had logged on too and they all kind of jumped out behind trees and surprised her in the game. Oh, So they're kind of social network as well, games yeah, now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Wow, that's a far cry from uh, my early gaming experiences. And it's quite sad that I probably played every single game that we, we, we spoke about in the <laughs> intro there. I even, I even had... A Pong machine, which I picked up in a jumble cell when I was quite young. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's very different now. And what um, you've got other consoles in your house, haven't you? I do. Although my my brothers have kind of taken them away with them. My younger brother's gone to university, and my older brothers moved out now. But um, they will be. So they left with PS4s, and they'll be returning with PS5s um, during Christmas, <laughs> which I'm really excited to play because I've not bought one for myself. Um, but yeah, the, the graphics are, are amazing. But what, what I think is interesting as well is that so mobile gaming is becoming more popular, and even even as as it stands, mobile gaming makes up about fifty percent of the market share in the gaming industry. And it's amazing what you can do on on your mobile phone. Like it's not just Candy Crush. There's a really popular game called Genshin Impact, and it looks like something you could have played on the PS3. But you're holding it on your iPhone, and it's amazing. It's a beautiful game. And the gameplay is actually available on other platforms, but mobile is one of its most popular ones. That's what I find quite interesting. I, Having never had any consoles growing up, and my siblings don't, my siblings are all still at home, and I've got a younger brother who, he actually plays a football-like game. It's like FIFA, but it's not FIFA, but he plays it on the iPad. Um, and it it does pretty much what what FIFA does and he's he's able to sidestep the no consoles in our household thing by the fact that you can play stuff on other devices devices that are in the home anyway because yeah. everyone has an iPod iPad or a laptop or a or, an, or a mobile you definitely don't need a, a console to play video games you literally need something with a screen and internet connection and play a video game definitely not a big massive pong machine 
you do it in the summertime. I don't even know what a pong machine looks like. I'm gonna. Have it to was orange. It, <laughs> <laughs> it was orange, and it had some weird sort of round controllery <laughs> thing. Oh and, yeah. And it, all it literally did was you had a pixel going across the screen, and one of you, you had a bat one side and a bat the other, yeah. and, and, and that was it. I used to play an, an app version of that game on my aunt's iPhone when I was a kid. It's a great game. Old <laughs> games never die. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, you spoke to your brother. I, uh, I understand about uh, his gaming habit. I did. Yeah, he's a he's a massive PS Five and um, just general PlayStation fan. He's had every single generation that's ever come out, um, and he pre-ordered the PS Five months in advance. He was very quick to get in on one of those slots. Do you ever listen to what he has to say? Michael is my older brother, and uh, for as long as I can remember, he's been playing video games. Um, I think of him as a bit of a geek. Um, Michael, how long have you been playing video games, and what was your first console? I've been playing games for 22 years, maybe. Uh, first console I uh, we had was a PlayStation 1 that Dad bought. Well, I, I don't remember when he bought it. I just remember it always being there. How far in advance did you did you order the PS5? I ordered it the the day that pre-orders went live. I think that was sometime in September. And when did it arrive? Uh, the morning it was released. Was which was which that that was like a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, the uh, the nineteenth of November now, so ten days ago. Yeah, and how how much? I mean, first of all, how much time have you been spending on it and uh, ignoring your fiance? I'd like to spend more time on it, but uh, but, yeah. but but she does demand that I spend some time with her. Yeah, well, how how do you find it? Are you enjoying the experience? What's most exciting about it? I'm enjoying the experience. The most exciting thing is the is the is the load time, which is a bit bore a bit of a boring thing to be excited about. But just zipping right. between games is um, I don't know that's what feels really next gen. Uh, Microsoft had its Xbox launch uh, launch uh, this month as well. Why have you never bought an Xbox? None of my friends are on Xbox. Hmm. My a uh, all of my friends are uh, PlayStation gamers. Well, that's that's not true. I, I do have some Xbox friends as well. I don't hold it against them, but mm-hmm. most of them do are on PlayStation, and that's and that's where where the ecosystem where our ecosystem is, and th- those are the games right. that I've grown up with. Yeah, yeah. So a large part of it is the social networking side of of gaming. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I like playing games with my friends, so yeah. I play, play wherever they are. What do you think of of PlayStation's members network and its? Are you, are you, first of all, are you part of PlayStation's members network? Can you explain what it is? Yeah, I am. So uh, PlayStation Plus is is what Sony call it. It's fifty pounds a year, and it enables you to play online, mm-hmm. uh, and which is the main which is the main reason you 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 pay for it. For right, because that way you can play with your friends, right? Exactly, and then the additional benefits are a few free games every month discounts on the store for only for PlayStation Plus members and now with the PS5 uh, there is a back catalogue of I think it's about 20-25 games um, from the PS4 that were sort of generation defining for the PS4, Xbox One um, uh, which are now available to you if you subscribe and own a PS5 so those are the benefits uh, but for me the main thing is being able to play online. Yeah, and Microsoft has a similar offering with its Xbox. Um, so yeah, I guess a big part of of playing video games is definitely the the social interaction, which I think a lot of people have have taken comfort in this year. Why so many people have been playing video games? 
Yeah, um, I, 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 th I think actually though, uh, Microsoft's offering is a bit more consumer friendly than Sony's. Uh, in what sense? They so they do have a so with a Sony game, you get uh, you get all of the Sony membership, you get access to twenty or twenty five PS four games plus a few free games every month and online play and discounts. Xbox have a very similar uh, model where you 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 can get all of that, but for a slightly increased fee. Uh, Microsoft have a Netflix style arrangement where right. you pay uh, you pay more so I think it's I think it's about 10 or 12 pounds a month and then you get access to pretty much all games on the Xbox as long as you're subscribed uh, yeah. not not every single one obviously there are still some they want to, but all of all of Microsoft's big ticket games and exclusives and things they're working closely with publishers for are all going to be on that uh, game pass so it yeah. is it's definitely more consumer friendly than Sony's option so I I, I think Sony is a uh, is lacking in that respect. Now, I wanted to ask you as well, um, the PlayStation executive told the Financial Times in an interview that he wasn't sure whether or not this console was going to be the last. Um, now that's certainly not uh, set in stone, um, but would you ever see yourself not buying the next console? No, I'll always buy it. Yeah. I like the shiny new box under the TV. <laughs> Okay, so as a as a non gamer, I was going to say novice, but that's far too generous. What is can can you explain the difference between PS Five and Xbox? Why do people like Michael love the PS Five over the Xbox? I don't think there is a, a massive difference between the PS Five and the Xbox. They're both pretty similar machines, and they both do similar things. I think usually there's such tribalism because I think maybe that's just what people who play games are like. They're quite they're quite dedicated to the games that they love. Um, and the consoles that they use to play them. Um, I guess the biggest difference between playing the PS5 and Xbox is usually the games that are available on them. Um, and I think PS5 tends to have a wider range of titles um, on there, or at least in-demand titles um, on their platform. Um, so I think that's why it's been able to protect its market share against Xbox and Microsoft for so long. But um, I think that Microsoft's been doing a better job at it's subscription service and getting more people onto onto it. So so it's introduced a new a new subscription service called Game Pass. It's basically streaming games. It's a bit like Netflix for video games. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a much more consumer friendly offering. And you can kind of log into it not just on the Xbox, but any sort of device that has a Windows operating system or on Android mobile phone. Um, so the gaming market is growing and Microsoft, probably because it has so much more experience than Sony dealing with consumers who aren't gamers, just the general person, <laughs> um, and also dealing with subscription models because it's like the king of subscription models that obviously gets most of its revenue from Office softwares and, and Windows. Um, so in that sense, it's got much more experience than Sony. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. The move to subscription is definitely, it definitely seems like an interesting thing. It also kind of, does it come back to the question about how much better can consoles actually get? I, I actually do have a PS4 in my home um, at the moment, and the person who plays it didn't doesn't necessarily want to upgrade to a PS5 because he can't see why a PS5 would be much better than the kind of graphics that he has on his PS4. Yeah. Um, so, is what what these companies pull it, are rolling out now? Are they? Is it more about the subscription and the? and the extras that you get from that rather than the actual console. Yeah, I think so. I think first that there are a lot of games that haven't been made yet um, for the PS5 that will come, and I think that will eventually attract more and more people to, to buy the console. 
Um, also, a lot that, which is something that Carl Cave has mentioned in the, in the interview, is that um, a lot of the games that have been released this time round have also been released that are compatible with the PS4. I think Sony recognises that not everyone's going to buy the new console straight away. Um, not everyone can afford to, and there are cheaper alternatives to, to playing video games rather than just buying a, a new console. But I don't think that people will ever stop buying um, new gaming consoles because the technology is just developing so quickly and what you can do in video games is changing so fast and what it means to play video games is changing so fast. So yeah, there's, there's, I don't think there's a, there's a universe in which consoles don't come out and don't get bought, but um, it's definitely becoming a, a wider market. So Lauren, you said you uh, were looking forward to getting the PS5 in the house. Is there something you've got? Is there a game you've got your eye on? Yeah, definitely. It's actually um, called Sackboy. It's actually developed by Sumo. Um, so I was really excited to talk to um, the chief executive, Carl Capers. Um, but again, that's that's a. It, I, I like that game because of the multiplayer element of of it. Um, and as we discussed, multiplayer gameplay is becoming greater focus. I think in video games because of the kind of growing social element in it. Um, in, in one of the news features I wrote a couple of weeks ago, I referenced that there were rap stars in the US that hosted concerts in video games. So Lil Nas X and Travis Scott, who are both American rappers, um, like, drew in like millions of live viewers um, on Roblox and Fortnite. Um, so yeah, it's definitely changing how we interact with each other. Um, so I think that collaborative element is, is more and more important. Mm. Have you read Ready Player One? That is, in Ready Player One, he's, uh, he lives his life, he has his real life, and then he has his virtual life. He, it's, a, it's an alternate, alternate universe where they are living in the game, and they, have, like, they go to school in the game, and everything happens in the console, uh, or in whatever game it is that they're, they're in. And it is amazing how, like you say, you host a party, and rappers are hosting concerts, these are actually things that really happen, but they're happening now virtually. It's a, uh, yeah, I think when Ready Player One was written, it was probably a bit like, this is crazy, this is not going to happen anytime soon, but it's already happening. And Everything does feel like it's moving on very quickly, mm. like you say. I mean, I'm oldish, but I'm not that old. And, and this is uh, this has all come a very long way since I bought my first game, which was by Codemasters, incidentally. Yeah, it was made in 1986. <laughs> it came on a cassette. I bought it for two ninety nine. News agent had to hide it from my dad because I wasn't allowed to play computer games on my ZX Spectrum. Um, but uh, but yeah, it has come a long way. And you know, as as you said, I, you know, it's going to continue to evolve. Um, John Rogers, who actually put this podcast together, uh, spoke to Mike Diver from Gaming Bible, part of the Lad Bible Group, um, for his expert opinion on the new consoles and what the future may look like. So great to have you with us, Mike. Um, do you mind if I start by asking about the new PS5 and the Xbox series? Um, what what's new? What's all the fuss about? Basically, paint a picture. What's what do they mean for the industry? What does it mean for the industry? Um, stronger, harder, faster, better. What's the Daft Punk Kanye West song? You know the one I'm on about. Um, it's kind of everything you already know. Plus. Um, we already had uh, mid-generation update consoles in the form of the um, the Xbox One X and the PS4 Pro, and these are the natural next step along from that, really. It's not going to 
radically change how games look for a lot of people. But what it will do from a player's perspective is uh, make everything faster. Loading times are shorter. Uh, there's a few uh, extra gizmos for developers to play around with. And these consoles are really engineered to uh, take uh, maximum advantage of today's like super duper uh, TVs that people have got in their houses. What's the sort of price point that these are coming out? Uh, are, they, um, are, they, are they similar or does one have a, a cheapness advantage over the other? Um, so the PlayStation 5 comes in two editions. There's the regular version, uh, which has a bit of a beer belly on it to accommodate a disk drive. That's about £450. And there's a digital version, digital only version, which is cheaper than that, under £400. Um, and then the Xbox Series X is the... Um, the parallel console to the PlayStation 5. That's the, the kind of supercharged machine, uh, also about £450. But the Xbox Series X is being marketed as the slightly more budget-friendly model, I suppose. Um, uh, again, uh, under the £400 price point. That is digital only. Um, it doesn't output at 4K, for instance, uh, but it gives you access to all of Microsoft's cool services like Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which gives you all of their first party games, gives you EA Play in there as well. So if you're a newcomer to Xbox's uh, ecosystem, I guess, to, to, to its consoles, the uh, Xbox Series S uh, is a good introduction for you. Uh, but if you have a huge back catalogue of games like I do on discs, then uh, the Series X makes more sense because it can still play all your old Xbox One games. Is it the case these days that people, gamers, are sort of set, whether they're a, a PlayStation person or an Xbox person, are, are, the, are Sony and Microsoft going to sort of sway anyone? Um, is, there, yeah, is there any sort of swing, swing buyers out there or, or are people sort of set in their ways? Um, I think as established as the two brands are, it's very difficult to, to attract one over to the other side. It definitely happened um, from the PS3, Xbox 360 generation into PS4 and Xbox One because Microsoft kind of fumbled the launch of the Xbox One a little bit. They were bundling it with the Kinect motion sensor. They were talking a lot about television and not a lot about games uh, back in 2012, 2013 when the console launched. They've really moved away from that this time. It's very games first. You know, they've put a lot of emphasis on games pass and making good value, you know, good value packages for their customers. Um, so if there is a swing, you would think maybe people who didn't go for the Xbox One, but they had a PS4 um, and now thinking, okay, I'm more tempted by Xbox. But the sales so far of the PS5 and Xbox Series X would suggest that more people are staying with Sony. We've been talking about a fairly new region of gaming, I guess, in that there's these sort of subscription services coming out that are sort of replacing, I guess, discs. Um, how new is this? Is that something these new, uh, these new consoles have, have really hopped on? I wouldn't say it's a new thing because you had Xbox Game Pass and, and Sony's got PlayStation now. Um, before we've got to this you know newly launched generation of consoles but it's been more of a focus certainly for xbox who um through their all access program so you pay a month like a phone style monthly payment and you'll get your xbox console and you'll get your game pass so that's the next halo game the next gears of war game you know all of microsoft's first party games included uh, and a lot of ea games as well Loads and loads of really cool Indian third-party games come to Game Pass as well. 
So that's really looking at that kind of subscription model, you know, 48 month, not 48 month contract. What am I talking about? 24 months contracts, uh, stuff like that. Goodness me, don't sign a 48 month contract for anything. Um, but so that they've definitely taken a leaf out of how we, you know, subscribe to Netflix, to Amazon Prime, how we pay for our phones and stuff. Um, in terms of those models, I guess, replacing standalone game sales, you know, you buy a game and you own it. Um, Microsoft don't seem to be exhibiting any, you know, sales problems when it comes to their first party titles, but they're also not very um, forthcoming with data on those numbers either all of the time. You know, the sales data in the UK is pr uh, primarily based by physical sales, which as you can imagine in 2020 have been quite low because shops have been closed. People haven't been going out to buy things. So the sales data isn't all that apparent. Um, but it does feel like they're able to balance this. You can buy our games or you pay for them through this other subscription model. PlayStation's a little bit behind uh, in that same sort of model. It does have PlayStation now. Uh, with the PS5, it's launched the um, sort of a PS Plus collection. So that is a subscriber kind of um, perk, I suppose, where you get a lot of really good old PS4 games. They're not, out, not that old. You know, they include things like God of War. It's only two years old. Uh, that you can play on your PS5 with your PS Plus subscription. So they're coming around to it, and PlayStation now has got better. Um, but yeah, the, at the moment, those services and actual kind of traditional game sales, such as they are in the digital age, seem to be coexisting relatively friendly. And are they coexisting with um, PC gaming and mobile gaming as well? Um, yeah, is, is that, are they... Um, there's no sort of, is there a competition there? Is, uh, is the market leaning one way or another? Or, you know, are they coexisting? Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's so, there's no denying that mobile gaming has become a huge chunk of kind of global revenues. Um, it, it's getting on for 50% of global revenues in 2020. A lot of people are not playing premium games on their phones. They're not playing games they pay for up front it is all about the games that you you know you spend a little bit on to get a few extra perks to get a few extra skins or something or oh, i'm enjoying this i'll chuck a quid into the into the game that i'm enjoying you know that's a huge huge marketplace um not so much in the uk obviously mobile gaming is a big thing here but in the far east it it doesn't kind of carry a certain stigma that it does more in the west i guess i mean certainly if you speak to people uh, amongst our gaming bible audience you know a lot of folk who will come and comment on our Facebook page or wherever don't really treat mobile gaming as, you know, as a as serious gaming for the industry though. You know, if you play a video game, you play a video game, you are a gamer, you're part of this community, you're part of this industry. Um, so in that regard, it's, it's a huge growing sector of the industry, um, which doesn't really show any, show any immediate signs of slowing down, especially, uh, with new streaming services, you know, the rollout of 5G enabling people to stream kind of console PC quality games to their phone, whether or not you consider that mobile gaming or not is, is kind of up in the air. Uh, you know, services like Stadia coming through. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in 2021. And if the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5, if they see, if, if they, you know, uh, promote growth for the console market or whether it just kind of, you know, stays level, whether it's steady, you know, keeps the ship steady because Sony have talked a lot of good stuff in the last sort of day or so about how the PS5 launch has 
surpassed expectations how it's done better than the ps4's launch in the same period but again they've been very cagey on actual figures and we know that distribution problems have affected both new consoles you know we've seen stock selling out everywhere so it's going to be interesting to see you know in another six months how these consoles have affected the overall market and as for pc gaming again it's kind of holding steady there the only part of gaming i suppose that has shrunk dramatically in the last few years is handheld gaming you know what you might think of you know back in the day of the game boy the game gear etc nintendo did have the 3ds uh, for a long time and the ds before that of course sony had the psp and the vita Nintendo's now retired the 3DS, that's gone. They do have the Switch, but the Switch isn't really considered a handheld um, outside of its light version. So that market has really, really been eaten up and kind of destroyed by the mobile market. I see. And um, just finally, Mike, for my new PS, PS5 or for my new Xbox series, what, um, what game should I, be, should I be getting to try out on it? <laughs> I suppose for the for the PS5, uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales has been a very, very popular launch title. It's the kind of follow-up to a really good PS4 game, uh, Marvel Spider-Man, which, you know, probably the best Spider-Man game of all time. You don't need to really, really be into the character to just have great fun, you know, swinging around New York. Uh, and on the Xbox, interestingly, interestingly, it probably hasn't launched with uh, all that many kind of um, standalone exclusives, but in terms of third-party games, a game like Assassin's Creed Valhalla looks incredible on Xbox Series X. You know, Ubisoft's new Assassin's Creed really is one of the best-looking games I've ever played. And the other side of the gaming coin is the developers, as you've already said, Lauren. Um, you you were excited to speak to Carl from Sumo, and. I've actually found when I've spoken to the chief executives of gaming companies in the past, even though they are business people, they're the chief executives, they are so enthusiastic about the company. They they live and breathe gaming, is, is Carl the same? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right that I think because it's such a creative industry yeah. and, and the hours are so tough, it's not an easy industry to work in. Um, they famously have really tight uh, deadlines. So in order to kind of put yourself through that, um, you've got to have passion to drive you, um, and when it's so creative, I, I imagine that it's quite, um, yeah, an intense working environment to be in. So I think you can't help but be passionate about what your output is. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I I've been playing uh, Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah, I know, um, but it's it's absolutely extraordinary. You're giving a funny picture of yourself in this. Oh, I always do, uh, as podcast listeners will know. Um, but no, I've been playing this game, and you know, I'm just blown away by the size of it. I think it's what my brother refers to as a sandbox game. So yeah. it's a it's a world within the game, and you can explore it all. And and you know, I just think I, I said to him, how many, how many, how long do these things take to make? Yeah. And, you know, the detail is, is just extraordinary. It, it, yeah, I mean, I can, I can imagine people are working late, late night, long hours to, to get these things made. Yeah, yeah. And maps of games are getting like, even bigger. There's, there's a new game out on the new Xbox and PS5 um, called uh, Watch Dogs Legion. And there's an accurate map of, of London. There's the accurate map of the, the city of London and also a couple of other boroughs around it. And you can walk through it. It's amazing. That's incredible. Um, yeah, you could feasibly walk from your local station and do your office. This is what I don't understand about... <laughs> I don't know why you're doing that. <laughs> well, yeah. You might, might find me in the game standing outside the Watling having a party. <laughs> Quite likely. <laughs> but this is what I don't understand about these these development these developers. How they... 
how do you account for the fact that if you're walking from the pub to the office, there are hundreds of potential routes that you can go in London? How can you how can you build a map which accounts for all of those different turnings that someone could take? Like. You can go wherever you like. That's the point. But how did they drawn it all? <laughs> it's amazing. I would. I don't, I don't think it's hundred percent accurate, but it's it's accurate enough. That's that major kind of. And the ones that aren't real, so like Grand Theft Auto, and you have this what seems like an infinite, although it's not, map of places that you can go and decisions that you can make when you're, I don't know, getting in your car and shooting and chopping someone's head off and whatever you do in (laughs) Grand Theft Auto. There are so many decisions, and obviously the human brain can make an infinite infinite number of decisions, but that's not a human brain in the the game. And that that's slightly terrifying. It it is, it is. It's it's why I say I just, you know, my... My mind boggles at, at, at the development effort that goes into these things. I mean, it must be extraordinarily expensive. They've got to get it right. Otherwise, you'd imagine they, that they can lose a lot of money on a, on a big game. Yeah, but even for, like, Fortnite, which is free, the graphics are incredible for a game like that. But they're, even at Fortnite, I, th- I saw um, a, a leaked survey on Twitter that was suggesting that Fortnite was considering um, a subscription fee for kind of added services, so like custom outfits for your characters or special weapons and stuff like that. Yeah. So even if it's it's free, it may not be for long, or the full experience may not be for long. Mm. No, it's an absolutely amazing industry. Should we have a listen to, uh, to what one insider, Carl Cavers from Sumo, uh, told you, Lauren, about, uh, about how it all works? I wonder if you could if you could tell us a bit about Sumo for people who might not be familiar with the company. Sure. Um, so Sumo Group PLC uh, listed on the the AIM market in December 2017, uh, just under three years ago. But we've been going for 17 years. Um, we're a business that provides premium video game development services to large video game publishers like Microsoft, Sony, uh, Apple, Sega. 2K, etc., and, and we do everything from helping them to actually develop some of the games they may be working on internally, to actually coming up with original ideas and providing the whole game and, and doing the full turnkey solution. So everything from the original idea right the way through to handing over a, a, a gold master, as it used to be in the old days, to the publisher for them to go and, and sell to the end consumer. So, so we we actually. Uh, do business to business and that is the predominant area of our work although we do some business to consumer in in that we do release some of our own small video games um and the first game we released on that basis was a game called snake pass uh, which was released back in april 2017 and it's been really successful for us you helped develop one of the one of the headline titles for for the ps5 sack boy which looks amazing yeah. And 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 also that, that that Xbox obviously released this month, and this is kind of why we're doing this podcast right now, is because it's a really exciting time in, in video games. Um, and I just wonder if you could give me your your view and what what these new console launches mean for developers. It, they mean they mean a hell of a lot. I mean, it, 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 the, it's the one time each each cycle that I get very excited <laughs> when when they're launched. It's a bit like going back to Christmas as a kid. Mm. Um. If, if I look back, Sumo's actually been involved in 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 the launch uh, of all the consoles to date with with some form of software being on a, a launch platform, and and the Sackboy, a big adventure, is, is the latest in that. 
and we're particularly pleased with that one because we've been working with Sony now uh, exclusively on on that franchise since the end of 2009. Um, we took it over from an internal development team that had originally developed um, Little Big Planet, which is the the all encompassing franchise. We did Little Big Planet three and then continued on to do. Sackboy Big Adventure ready for release uh, on PlayStation 5, which it's all, all it's also compatible with PlayStation 4. Um, and and each time there is a cycle, there's in the past there's always been some angst around that cycle. And looking back historically, you, you can understand that better than being involved at the time. But you know. If we, if we step back 10 years, every time a new console was launched, it basically meant that that console uh, manufacturer or the platform owner, whether it be Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, or going back even further, Sega, would walk away from all the installed base of that current generation of platform in the hope that the player would then invest in the next console. But they'd obviously lose the ability to, to engage on the previous games they bought. And what's happened over the last five or six years since the release of the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 is that more and more games have been made backward compatible with those platforms. And that's really culminated with a, a complete shift on this iteration of platform launch because both Sony and Microsoft aren't expecting people to walk away from the catalogue of games they've already invested in and the hardware they've already invested in you can continue to play a lot of games, you know, and a lot of the new games will be available on, on backward compatible consoles as well. So it, it's quite different to any previous launch of, of consoles that we've ever seen. But the demand this time is just phenomenal. Uh, every time there is a console launch, it would seem that, that each time that the demand for, for that hardware gets stronger and stronger. And if I go back to 2012, you know, it's very, very dark time when all the analysts actually forecast that the console was dead and, and everything would be replaced by mobile. That obviously wasn't the case. And consoles gone from strength to strength. And, and people really appreciate playing premium games in, in the best visual fidelity that they can get. And, and not only the uh, visual fidelity, but also, you know, the 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 amount of power that we now have means that we can optimize many different things like AI and, and physics to, to become more realistic than we've ever been able to achieve before. And that has a great impact on gameplay. Mm. And so do you think, are you confident then that console and I guess PC gaming as well, do you think they're going to be able to kind of guard their, their dominant share in, in terms of which platforms, which devices that gamers use? Yeah, I, I do because the, there's always going to be a demand for, you know, the the the, the most cutting edge that, that you can make a game, and that's what those platforms provide. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's what's great to see is that that there's the overall not one platform has been compromised by another one ever being released. It's always right. been additive, um, yeah. and it, and you just see the the actual number of gamers growing year on year. And when I got into games 25 years ago, when I first started working in games, you know, there was even then there was a preconception that it was it was for for guys 16 to 18 that that just sat in the bedroom all day and, and played games, and that that wasn't the case. But what has happened is the the overall demographic has just got wider. You know, people 25 years ago playing games are still playing games today. 
you know, I, I'm in my fifties now. I still play games, and lots of my friends still play games. Mm-hmm. It it's more of a, of a, a an accepted piece of of entertainment time than it ever was. It's not seen as 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 that niche um, activity that that once it was viewed as. That's so interesting. Um, so, do you think that that kind of pie getting bigger instead of the, I don't know that the, the space getting more cramped and, and the wider demographic? Do you think that's going to change the types and genres of games that are developed i I think one one thing that games is able to do is is to extend its its um creative opportunity into either new genres or new game mechanics that provide interesting ways for people to engage in play and you know the uh, the whole evolution of games moving from a single player environment 20 years ago predominantly to today being predominantly online multiplayer games you know it it was great to see during lockdown when the the world health organization actually did a bit of a u-turn on on recommendation of video games because they they could see that people being online and engaging with each other Mm. was a really important thing to do and it is and now whereas you can sit and watch a tv or a film with, with the people that sit around you and do that when you go online onto a video game it open, opens up a whole new world of, of connectivity and you're no longer on your own. And, and that, for me, is the most stimulating part of, of what we're opening up as, as far as video games are concerned. More and more people are getting online. More and more people are engaged with each other. And the opportunity to find the game that really resonates with you is there because there are so many genres and there, there are so many interesting games that, that people really want to play. Yeah, yeah, and and as you say that that kind of social element of it, I think, is what what's made video games such a big part of people's lives this year. I think that um, that kind of collaborative element of of gameplay is going to become, I don't know, a, a greater focus in terms of in terms of in the development stages. You think that's going to play a greater role? Um, yeah, I think it's already playing a significant role. To be honest. Um, you know, people want to to play with their friends. Um, you know, most of the time, if if people are playing on either Xbox, Nintendo, or or a PlayStation, you know, if if they're going to swap out that hardware, a big consideration is not not what just what games are they going to get on that hardware going forward, but also what are the friends playing, um, and and can I can I remain engaged with 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 the people I've I've made friends with online continue to play which i think is quite interesting i think the other interesting element is that that games you know cross play is becoming more important and the delivery of of a game to a single platform is is potentially becoming more agnostic Mm -hmm. so you can now play games you know if you've got an xbox you can play against people on pc and sometimes you can even play on a playstation with with people on 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 a different platform and Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to become more prevalent. Um, you know, people don't want to be um, restricted onto a, onto a certain delivery platform when deciding how that how they're going to work going forward. And and I think that's one of the reasons that you see so many of the the larger publishers moving towards a subscription based gaming model. You know, probably the, the the biggest statement of that is is Apple just moving into games and, and just going straight into subscription. Yeah. where five family members can get an Apple Game Pass, Arcade Game Pass for you know 4.99 a month. It's mm-hmm. tremendous value for one. 
and and secondly you know it, it means that you're you're not just investing in a piece of hardware you're really investing it in the service at the back end and i think that's something apple have done really well you know since since its inception um but now with the apple arcade service and then you see microsoft's game pass and psn on on sony that i think it's 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 all about the content it's, it's becoming less important around the the hardware medium that it's delivered via mm. and that's where sumo you know is, is positioned to do really well we 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 basically make great content that's all we've ever done that's all we've ever alluded to do and um and that's why we're seeing more and more opportunities in this space i mean lauren you uh you obviously covered a lot of these developers recently and uh, and, and the technology behind it i mean we've seen codemasters uh falling to a bid um and, and there's been lots of other talk of sort of potential consolidation in, in the gaming industry. Um, lots of companies in the UK have come to, to market in London, um, including Cobus, not that long ago. What, what do you make of the prospect for, for, for what we've got listed on the market? Yeah, I was kind of um, sad at hearing that Codemasters was potentially being taken away from London because we don't have very many really good tech companies. I think Codemasters was one of them. Um, a lot of, uh, not all of the developers in the UK um, kind of, own the IP that they develop, they usually have a mix of um, them creating their own IP, like Team 17 makes Overcooked and Worms, um, but a lot of them also work as kind of services companies, so developing video games for bigger publishers, like Sumo did with um, with Sackboy, they don't own that, that IP, but they did it with Sony. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, most of them are, are great companies, um, I think that they're probably probably at risk of being... Of being uh, yeah, bought up by, by bigger US publishers like Take Two or Codemasters. Um, but I kind of don't want them to be. <laughs> I kind mm. of want to see them flourish here. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a subject for another podcast is why the British companies fall to, <laughs> to, to bid so easily and where are all our tech giants? Um, no, no, I mean, it is, it is an absolutely fascinating industry on the London market. Frontier Developments is one that I've always sort of kept my eye on because that's, again, you know, that, that, that owns IP Elite, which has been around. Since the dawn of gaming, almost. It's amazing how enduring these companies actually are. Yeah, I guess that IP is like the oil of the gaming industry. We've got good IP, everything else will kind of follow. But that's another example of film tie-ups. They've done a deal with Universal and to make the Jurassic World one. And I think they've got another another partnership somewhere. Games Workshop. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Another. Bringing in another great British company. Yeah, we could probably do a podcast entirely on Games Workshop. In fact, we should. <laughs> One for another day. This has been a very interesting discussion, but thank goodness you were here, Lauren, because we may have been a bit stuck. On I, would the... just, I would have just talked about the ZX for <laughs> And I wouldn't have been able to help. <laughs> so thank goodness we have somebody who knows about modern, modern gaming. Thanks, Lauren.